Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wii Universe. This is the show where we are playing every single game on the Wii U home entertainment console. Uh, it's that's, a, a, that's its official name. It's a, it's a kind of video gaming device uh, mm. from the early 2010s, and boy, oh boy, is it a gas. <laughs> that's, that's wait, wait, the, it's like holding the future in the palm of your hands it's like that's we the think... tagline they they decided to go back to like 1920s language for the tagline for this like oh it's a real humdinger yeah it's a real it's a crackling good time at take the, your the take your best gal to come play the wii u <laughs> exactly uh today we are talking about two games uh that uh, are kind of are in conversation with the game we had last week which uh, i think is going to be interesting we're talking about darksiders and darksiders 2 there are two sides to that dark siders and we're playing both of them yep it's like when you go to a um you go get breakfast at, a, at your local greasy spoon and you're like i had like two eggs and dark siders yeah dark, dark, sided. dark siders please can i get a nice side of apocalypse <laughs> yeah. uh, that would be great uh, <laughs> exactly. i'm i'm the uh the horseman of nerdiness steve guntley hello i'm woody siskowski Welcome. I'm glad Thank to have you, you here. Very yep. excited you, you, to be talking so about these. Are you saying that wherever you go, nerdiness follows? You're like the harbinger of nerdiness? I am the or... harbinger of nerdiness. I'm warning of future nerdiness to come. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... Yeah. When when Steve walks in to, to an event, they're like, okay, it just it just got nerdy in here. Everyone. It's about to get nerdy. Everybody yeah. duck and cover. You want to know what year specific actors were in movies? Get ready. It's about to get dropped on you. Here he is. Here he is. Look out. He coming. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about these games today. Before we do, uh, what else are you playing right now? Well, I'm still hooked into the new in Nuclear Throne is still the game I'm playing. And I think at this point, maybe it's the game I've spent the most time with that I've made the least progress in. Oh, really? Because I am still consistently dying. You know, now I'm kind of dying level four out of seven. Um, and, you know, you always start back at the beginning. I have beaten it once. Um, but like all roguelike games, you know, there's extra challenges you can do to get to the quote unquote real boss. Yeah. Um, which you have. So like in this situation, you have to like destroy a bunch of, uh, generators while you are fighting the, the last boss in order to open up the next boss. Yeah. And like, there's just enough stuff going on in the boss itself that it's very hard to do both. And I keep dying and getting killed by random explosions, but somehow I keep playing. It keeps sucking me in. And I will real quick here. Do you believe Steve? I do believe Steve. You, I believe Steve. Everyone believe Steve. Um, that the inclusion of the mimic enemy the enemy that looks like a treasure chest, but will actually bite you. Yeah. Is ever a positive inclusion in a video game? I always find it kind of fun just because I like that design. Like, uh, I, I recently saw the trailer for the upcoming Dungeons and Dragons movie, and they showed they do have a mimic that's going to be in that movie. And I got kind of excited because I just like the idea of like, opening up a box and it's just like teeth and guts and a big tongue. Uh, I, I'm with you. I have no problem with the design of a mimic. Um, I do think that's par pretty fun, but like it always feels so bad because in nuclear throne, like you'll be blasting dudes from one side and like running back to like grab a treasure chest full of ammo. And then it will just kill you oh, because no. you're like, Oh, that was a mimic. And it always just feels so dirty to me. Or it's like in, um, 
you know, Final Fantasy six or, or four, you're like, oh, look, I can save right there, but I'll just go grab that treasure chest real quick. And then it is a mimic enemy and you die and you're like, shit, I should have saved. It's just like. I think it, it, it would bother me more if it's I haven't played Nuclear Throne yet, sure. but it sounds like that's a game that's kind of like wearing its difficulty on its sleeve. Oh, yeah. No, you know? question. so it's it's not one like it would bother me more if it was like a Sonic the Hedgehog or something. And like you're just bopping along and all of a sudden like, like a spring attacked you or something like that's when I find it more annoying. But if if uh, the game is being honest about how difficult and and uh, uh, mischievous it is, then it doesn't really bother me. Well, that's fair. So it sounds like what you're telling me is to, quote unquote, get good. Get good. G-U-D. Get good. I mean, from what I've read about this game, uh, it sounds like beating it once is kind of an accomplishment anyway. So like that's that's that seems like it feels uh, you should be proud of that. At least you beat it. once. Sure. Sure. But I, I, I will someday fight fight the actual real throne and unlock whatever final unlock i have it's just it's it's such like a it's such a bullshit game and i feel like it's taunting me and that's not really a great reason to keep playing a game out of spite spite, but i'm I'm gonna do it hey why not maybe i'll maybe i'll give that a shot uh in in a week or so when i get my new steam deck i ordered one it's coming i'm getting yeah no exciting i think it's finally at the point where you, there's no waiting list, right? No, no. It's uh, they said one to two weeks for it to come out. I can hack that. You know, that's not <laughs> a big deal. Nice. Uh, I'm I'm excited because like, for for those who've been listening for a while, you know that my computers are uh, largely functional and not so much for uh, gaming. You know, so like I've got a work computer, I've got a home computer. They're both laptops. They're not really built for high end gaming. So, kind of this my Steam library is largely like useless to me but a Steam Deck will help me actually access these and get to really explore what Steam has to offer. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, Nuclear Throne, that's how I've been playing. It's a very a very fun one to just uh, die, be frustrated, and then turn off and go do something else and then come back and get frustrated again. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's frustration at your fingertips. Oh, that's you the gotta love it. for the Steam Deck. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm excited to get that. Until I do, I've been playing my PS5, but of course, because mm-hmm. I'm weird and contrarian, I'm playing a PS3 game on my PS5. Okay. Uh, I've gone back to play Far Cry 3. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Far Cry series. 3 is usually held up as kind of the best of the franchise, and I've never really touched it. So it's it's also been nice. Every, every once in a while, I like to like put on a game I don't need to be super attentive to. I can kind of just explore and like you know, fo- follow a little side quest and do what I want and then like catch up on podcasts that have been falling oh, behind sure. or something like that, you that know? So, sense. so I've been doing that. Like I'm not super, uh, uh, brought in by the story on this because every Far Cry game is basically the same. There's a crazy guy. You are pitted against him and his cult of followers and, uh, you need to get stronger and inflict violence. And as you walk around, Komodo dragons attack you and you got to be okay. careful of that. Uh, so it's basically that, but you know, uh, it's it's always those games always have a nice sense of exploration. There's a nice sense of um, uh, leveling up. You know, like you'll you'll upgrade oh, your sure. equipment pretty steadily. Like I just got the wingsuit, which is always my favorite part of Far Cry games because you can just jump off cliffs and then puff out your wings and then glide for a period of time, um, which always helps traversal a lot. Very fun. And, uh, and what- I'm having a good time. Nice. Was the first? So, have you ever played the first Far Cry game? I never played the first two. Okay, so I, I at some three point is kind of where it got good. Yeah. Okay, three is kind of like maybe the open world one because the first yeah. one is a lot more linear. I'm going to tell a story about the first Far Cry. Um, 
that is really unrelated to anything. It's just kind of a weird story. Right, um, please. I was just shopping at my local big box store, um, mostly for groceries. And for whatever reason, they had a copy of Far Cry on like the original Far Cry for PC, like on the discount rack yeah. for like five dollars. And in, in just like one of those cheapo um, cardboard sleeves. And I'm like, all right, I heard that game was fun. So I'll buy it. Um, and I, I brought it home and I this this case was sealed, mm-hmm. this cardboard. And I opened it and inside of this case was like some sort of it seemed like a trip hop kind of electro rap like demo disc was okay. in here. Like it was just this burned disc with the name of like these this band on it um and then i just put it in my computer which in retrospect probably i should not have done no no Um, but it was just this guy's is like demo and then i returned the i went back to fred meyer and i'm like hello this is going to sound insane but uh this disc was in your sealed product instead of the actual advertised product um so, <laughs> so then they wait, gave so me the, the game itself wasn't even in there no the game the game was not in there oh my god okay so there's somebody in the factory is just like you know what this is how i'm gonna make it this is how drake <laughs> made it this is how biggie made it you know they slipped a uh they slipped their demo into a far cry disc yep. in place of the game yep exactly and then re- yeah re- and then resealed it um wow so that, that was the part that was very odd is it somehow seemed sealed um and I think I still have that uh, that track on my computer. Maybe I'll send it to you. You can put it at the end of this episode. Yeah, I kind of want to hear it. Yeah, it yeah. <laughs> sounds fun. Um, yeah, that's and that's the extent of my experience with Far Cry. But I did I mean, play I the first you, game, and it was pretty fun. It, it sounds like you got the the typical Far Cry experience. Though. Yeah, like that's exactly. that's kind of that the was the main experience. complaint when the reviews for Far Cry One came out. They're like. Uh, my, it, it was a fun game, but I wish I hadn't gotten the de- weird demo <laughs> disc in it to start. It's... So it's such a strange marketing thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that sounds awesome. Uh, let's talk about these two games today, Darksiders and Darksiders 2. Uh, it's, I think it's fun that like we just talked about Wind Waker, which mm-hmm. fanboys turned on because it was not the dark gritty Zelda game that they wanted. Sure. <laughs> And this is kind of the dark, gritty Zelda game that they wanted, right? Like, I feel like it sort of like it's it's yeah. a, it's a equal parts like God of War and uh, uh, Zelda, I think. But like, I, I think that's kind of what they're they're going for here. I mean, this game is equal parts a lot of things. Yeah. This game exists so much in the realm of it's where you describe it. It's like this plus this. Sure. And these are kind of. Mm, this is a sort of design philosophy I always have trouble getting behind. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I guess I'll just put my complaint right up front, even though I generally have, don't have a problem with these games, but yeah. like, there's really a sense in these games that like, hey, we're making a video game. We need to sell copies of this video game to people. Like, let's put in elements. There's sure. not a sense of, hey, here's a world or story that we feel strongly about telling. Here's some take we have and a way, like, something. Every, all of these games are like, hey, you know in this other game how you like doing that? Right. Well, 
you can do it here too. So kind of, kind of, <laughs> it's kind of building off of trends more than feeling like a uh, a passion project that somebody really need to get out. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I, could I agree get with it. That. Not not every game. I mean, it would be impossible if every game was a passion project for someone to get out because sure. a lot of people work on this. There's a lot of money involved, but here I really do see it's hard not to see like the conference room in the back of your head where like the guy with the whiteboard up in front of the meeting has like circled, like dark gritty story and like acrobatic, um, platforming. Yeah. And like double chain scythe weapon. And just in terms of like pointing to things like what have other games that are selling well had in them and how can we put those in our game? I agree. There is there is a cynicism, I think, a little bit to these games. Like, And I, I'm also going to predict right now that I liked both of these games more than you did. Uh, because I think th- for whatever reason, whatever this genre is, is mm-hmm. kind of my sweet spot. Like this, yeah. is, this is sort of my favorite genre of game. I like these action adventure things where you get to climb on a lot of walls and string a lot of action combos together and explore and, and have big open world areas, you know? So it's, it's kind of hitting a lot of my, uh, my zones here. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a safe bet that you probably did like these more than me. And I think that these games and the company that made them are very much exist in the realm of like, do you want a game that exists as sort of familiar and comfortable, even if it's not like it's not the A grade version of whatever this is, um, but it is still well made and it will still like scratch some of those itches that you find from this genre? Yeah, yeah, it, it's I, I, I agree with all that. And I think this is a series that's always kind of struggled to be taken as seriously as some of the the games that it's sort of in the same realm as even though i think it does a lot of things arguably better than some of those other games but because it does feel like a little late to the party uh then it it, it's uh, always kind of lagging behind it just doesn't have that super that very clear hook that other that other franchises do like it doesn't have the name recognition of zelda as like oh zelda is always very high quality it doesn't have like that sort of mm, that huge character of Kratos who like towers over things. And you're like, yeah. yes, I get what this game is about. And it doesn't quite have the charm of and uh, production values of an Uncharted. Right. I also think that title's a little confusing because when mm-hmm. I hear Dark Side, I immediately go to Star Wars. And unless there's like a really yeah. bizarre late game twist that I haven't gotten to, I don't think these have anything to do with Star Wars at all. But. It also, <laughs> that, that would really be a twist. I mean, it, uh, Horseman might almost be like a better title for these, you know, or like something like that, because each one, like, the concept is that each game you're playing is a different one of the four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, which is a cool concept. Yeah, you know, I'm, like, I'm a big fan of that. That to me stands out as probably the single like most memorable thing about this game is yeah. that idea of playing as a different horseman of the apocalypse. Um, I don't know if these games quite hit on those that hard enough. Um, like if the game, what didn't tell you that you were playing as a horseman of the apocalypse, I'm not sure I would get that vibe just from context. Not necessarily. I, I kind of describe this on Twitter as a, a mix between Zelda, God of war and the nerdier parts of the Bible. And I think that's, uh, <laughs> that's sort of what we're working with. Sure. Uh, so let's jump in. Uh, we're so we're we're going to be talking about these games kind of out of chronological order. This is a weird case where 
the original game was remastered and released on the system five years after the sequel, uh, which is kind of a weird uh, uh, thing to do. So we're, we're breaking chronological order to go in series okay. order. Okay. Everybody calm down. <laughs> uh, starting with Darksiders War Mastered Edition. Uh, this was released May 23rd, 2017. It was developed by Vigil Games, published by THQ Nordic, and it's also available on PS3, 360, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and Windows. Lots of options for picking up your Darksiders. Yeah, it's it's odd, right, from the, the get-go. Like, it really feels like THQ Nordic. It's like they want this to be their franchise. They're really trying, like, yeah. Because I don't look... know what their franchise is at this point. No. I think other than, like, Saints Row, but even Saints Row seems to be kind of dead, right? It's like when you look through the published games of THQ Nordic, you're like, wow, they've published a lot of games that I have heard of, but none that, like particularly get me excited about like, no and and this one did definitely have that potential uh we also have another weird case today where we are we are talking about the entire commercial output of this developer uh vigil oh, games wow. made exactly two games darksiders and darksiders 2 and we are talking about them both today um okay so vigil games they had a relatively short run here uh the studio was founded in 2005 by uh Dave Adams, who is a game developer, and uh, Joe Maduera, who is a comic book artist who worked on uh, X-Men and Deadpool back in the 90s. Uh, And the company was headquartered over here in my neck of the woods, Austin, Texas, and it was quickly purchased as a subsidiary of THQ back in 2006. Uh, And so the first two Darksiders games, which we're talking about, they came out in 2010 and 2012, respectively, and they were solid successes, but not quite enough to save their parent company from bankruptcy. Uh, so THQ filed for Chapter 11 in 2012, and while many of the subsidiaries were bought off by other studios, for some reason, Vigil was not one of them. Uh, the studio was shuttered, and the developers all went on to form different studios. So Dave Adams spun off into his own studio called Gunfire Games, and they developed Darksiders 3, which kind of continues the gameplay and the story of these first two games. And Madurera founded a company called Airship Syndicate, and they made a game called Darksiders Genesis, which is kind of more of a Diablo-esque uh, top-down spin-off series um, that's still kind of within the continuity, but it's a very different gameplay style. It is also a surprisingly recent release. Like, I was yeah. looking at the at the list here, because, like, the first Darksiders came out in 2010. It's a 12-year-old game. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Genesis, I think, came out just last year or something. And it got so. good reviews. It's supposed to be a pretty fun little uh, little version of this game, so I'm, I might want to check it out. Um, so, yeah, this game was originally released in January of 2010, and it was it was a solid hit with both critics and gamers. It sold over a million units worthwhile, worldwide, which is not necessarily earth-shaking, especially for a production as expensive as this one probably was, but uh, it was enough to give THQ the, the uh, confidence that this could be a small franchise. Uh, and unlike the HD version of Wind Waker that we talked about last week, this War Mastered Edition uh, doesn't really come with any additional bells and whistles. Uh, no real significant changes have been made to the gameplay. It's basically just a higher resolution version of the game that came out in 2010. I did think like this game looked pretty good. Yeah. Um, I it, it, the graphics seemed pretty clean. The frame rate was very smooth. But yeah, there's there's really no. Uh... <laughs> No Wii U capabilities going here. No, um, no, nothing like really. The... I, I did appreciate being able to play off screen. Uh, sure. Know, just, yeah, it looks pretty good on the gamepad. The gamepad itself, like, even when you're in the menu on the gamepad, you can't use the touchscreen functionality. Yeah, exactly. Which, it, it just feels very odd. One thing 
I, I wonder, like, do you know the backstory of why this came out so late on the Wii U? I'm was not it... really sure, like, uh, I, because Darksiders 2 was a launch game, uh, and I think it probably did pretty well just by dint of being a launch game, uh, although I don't know if that's necessarily true with the Wii U, because, like we've established, there are like 30 launch games, so it's not right. like they had a, it's not like people had a, a lack of games to play, in addition to, like, the Wii games that they could still play on this console, uh, so yeah, I'm not sure exactly the, the reasoning behind releasing this so late, because by 2017, the the switch was out the wii u was functionally dead uh so it is kind of a strange call to release that first game so late i i think also i think that this same game exists on the switch yeah it does and so maybe they just felt like well we've gone through the effort of porting it to the switch and it's not very hard to do it all or they started porting it like much earlier and then realized that the system was dead but had it done anyway i don't know it, it, yeah. it's a very it's a very weird thing. Like you would think that if they're going to re-release this game on the system that had the sequel, they would do it very soon after the sequel. Well, and that was they kind of the thing too, because the original was THQ. This one was published by THQ Nordic, which is kind of the, the, the company sort of rebounded and they, they merged with another company and they were, they, I think they've been making a play to be kind of one of the big heavy hitters. Like they want to okay. be like THQ Nordic wants to be an EA or an Activision, you know, but, uh, so far, it hasn't really taken off for them. So it might have just been, uh, you know, making a big splashy comeback and trying to cover as many bases as possible. Yeah, that's possible. There, there, there is really a sense here of um, just like behind the scenes sort of machinations of like who owns what property and all of these sort of different companies and licensing rights that probably does result in a game taking, you know, coming out five years later to be remastered. Totally. Uh, so this this game has a lot of fun, I think, remixing and reimagining like uh, Christian eschatological, apocalyptic kind of uh, end of the world mythology. What word did you just say? Eschatological. It's one of my favorite like five dollar words. It's uh, it just means what does uh, it mean? It means like uh, uh, relating to apocalyptic fiction. You know, like uh, 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 just like generally just discussing the end of days. Okay, well, why why not use the word apocalyptic? Because eschatological is really fun. That's that's true. Eschatological. Eschatological. I might even okay. be pronouncing that wrong. I think I've only seen it written, but uh... <laughs> sure. So in this, you play as War, one of the fabled four horsemen of the apocalypse, and as this game opens, War is summoned to initiate the Armageddon on Earth as his his job, uh, and he begins wreaking havoc on all these angels and demons and humans that are on the Earth's surface. But soon he realizes, holy shit, I'm the only horseman that showed up to this party. What is going <laughs> on? How embarrassing. I, turns, Does that ever happen to you? You get invited <laughs> to a party and you're the only horseman who shows up? You do not want to be the first horseman to the apocalypse, no. okay? Exactly. Like, that's just embarrassing. You want to be two or three is the sweet spot. Yeah, yeah. You want to wait until, like, the apocalypse is kind of already going and then you, yep. you make your entrance. Yeah, which, no. is, which is death's plan. He, he showed up early, and uh, it turns out that he was tricked into starting the apocalypse early. Don't you hate when that happens? Yeah. Uh, so war is brought before the Charred Council to answer for his error, and this is kind of the, the, the governing body. It's a bunch of volcano heads that basically <laughs> uh, uh, tell the angels and the, the demons what to do. Yeah, the, the, the design of the angels in this game looks very much uh, Diablo to me. Yeah. Like uh, yeah. Tyrael with the sort of big ethereal wings and gold armor 
And um, it's it's funny that we we just played Bayonetta not too long yeah. ago too, which also has a lot of angels and demons with. And I think the the designs in Bayonetta are much more abstract uh, yes. than what you get here, but uh, it's yeah, still the, a solid design, I think. The demons themselves look kind of like uh, Gears of War, I would say. Yeah, like they, they yeah, came out the of the locust. ground and are very very chunky. Yeah, they're big chunkers. Uh, so War makes a plea with the Chard Council to go back and clear his name. Uh, but they assign a, a little demon monster to him called the Watcher, who is voiced by Mark Hamill, clearly having fun doing his little Mark Hamill demon voice. <laughs> uh, and so he gets to be uh, the eyes and ears for the council while he's on his quest. So when he goes back to Earth, a hundred years have passed since he accidentally started the Armageddon. And the planet is now this whole desolate wasteland that's ruled over by a demon called the Destroyer, who has assigned his own horseman, and he's making a power grab for the Celestial Throne. And it's okay. uh, assumed that that's the guy who set you up. Sure. Um, sure. You know, I, I think the story here is actually quite fun. I think they do a good job of they they don't overload you. Uh, you know, there there are, there are cutscenes and there are uh, uh, dialogues, uh, trees, and things like that. But you're not getting weighed down by it. I think the gameplay yep. is still kind of the king here. I will say I'm not crazy about the design of War, just because I think he looks like a Warhammer figure. Uh, yep. he, he looks very articulated in that way. He's got these big old mitts. And uh, he wears a hood, and he doesn't really even talk that much. So, like, Gi- yeah, giant upper body, yeah, um, big, big old sword. Um, yeah, doesn't really have very anything very interesting to say. I do, I do think that is a thing that holds back th- this series in general. Is like in both where you play as War and then Death in the second one. Like, both of them just kind of seem like chunky guys, and who yeah. are just kind of like vaguely angry yeah, as yeah. you would expect but not in a way that feels very supernatural or anything. They just seem like kind of unfriendly bros. Kind of, yeah. Whereas like someone like Kratos kind of has like this supernatural anger about him that like feels very distinct to him. Um, Which is why I think the 2018 God of War is so effective because like he's, he's entered into a stage of his life where he's, finally trying to control that rage right you know you can still see it sort of boiling over yeah yeah and even bayonetta a character that i found generally kind of irritating with her many quips at least exudes a lot more personality in her moveset oh totally then um yeah war doesn't do a ton of tremendously exciting things in the moveset like you have this giant, this giant kind of buster sword yeah. um, that you swing around with one hand, and um, you can turn into a big demon, um, like flaming demon. Yeah, which like looks, a big Balrog looking thing. Yeah, it looks looks cool. Yeah. but like I just wish that there was like a little more in the combat. Like when you whack guys with your sword enough, they'll get an A button over their head, and then you can grab them and kind of rip them apart. Yeah, but like the camera work is never. Quite done with the same aplomb as like a um, God of War, yeah. Where you really see Kratos sort of getting in there and like struggling to like rip these guys apart, and you see the expression on his face. Um, I think that War himself, even though he is a big chunky boy, yeah, feels very light to control. Mm. Like, yeah, he, it feels uh, yeah, it feels he's he's slow, but he feels a little insubstantial. Yeah, he doesn't. There's not a lot of weight to his movements. Like you have a double jump, um, you can, you very weirdly can like 
pick up cars or chairs. That like was in the my first favorite level. part. I, I love being able to just pick up a car and chuck it at a demon. <laughs> I also like the idea of picking up a chair and using that as a weapon, even though you have a giant sword <laughs> on your back. And it's like, I'm going to hit you with this wooden chair. Yeah, it's called like a chaos blade or something. And you're like, yeah. nope, you will not stand against my hearfin from Ikea. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I do like... He is, he is fun to control, and I think that it works well because, like, this game isn't isn't necessarily just a straight-up action game like Bayonetta or like Ninja Gaiden. Yeah. Like, it it's definitely reveals that there's more sort of platforming and adventuring going on here than in those franchises. Yeah, like we said, this does feel a lot more like a dark, gritty Zelda game. Like, uh... This one, I think more than the sequel sort of leads you by the hand. I think it's a much more linear game. It's not like, uh, I think there is a hub world that you eventually find and then you Mm -hmm. can go out on quests from there. But for the early part of the game, you're sort of being led from one place to another and you're going like from this corridor down to this dungeon now. And now you can explore this dungeon a little bit and this is going to lead you directly to the next dungeon. So it's, it's a much more linear experience than your average Zelda game. But it does have that DNA. Like you have... These, uh, you have to find like a dungeon map and then you have to find the one item that's in each dungeon, which is going to help you defeat the boss and access the next section of the world, you know? So it, it has a lot of those elements to it. Uh, this does give you the chance to like upgrade your combat and your combos and things like that. And combat, I think, is the main focus here, much more right. than in Zelda. Um, I, I think that's smart because yeah. like for all the things that Zelda does very, very well, like combat is never really a highlight of those zelda games no not really Um, no and so to be like all right we're gonna take this basic dna of zelda and spruce up the combat a little bit um i think is a good idea yeah um i i wish there was a a little bit more to the combat and maybe that just comes from having just recently played the bayonetta games and ninja gaiden but like you just have sort of the one basic attack button and the finish button um, to take enemies out. But I, I, I imagine that you can get sort of more weapons and abilities that open that up a little bit. Yeah, it does as you go on, you know. Um, you know, I, I found this one to be generally pretty enjoyable. Like, I, yeah. I, I liked this game. Like, there's there's a lot of kind of, like, Uncharted-style action platforming, which, again, is, like, my sweet spot. Um, yep. And uh, uh, it's, it. I don't know, I think it just feels generally responsive and polished and pretty fun. Like, the big problem that this series has is just kind of a a, a general genericness to it, yep. I think. Like, and I don't mean to be mean to it because it is it is doing some stuff that I find very interesting, and I think it's uh, it's just an incredibly well made game. But, but like, it, it does we, feel like a lot of other games. I mean, yeah, and it, we're talking about it here, and you're like, oh, you get to play as war, and like you're you're in the apocalypse, and like that happens. That sounds really cool yeah. and weird, and it's like. The first part of this game, you like wander around in a parking garage a lot of the time. And it's just like, it's just that same thing where like so many games are just environments of like ruined cities. Right. And that just, I, every time I encounter that, I get more and more sick of it. Yeah, we've Um, seen it. It's been done. Yeah. And it's just like my, the thing I like the most about games that sort of pull from biblical, uh, biblical sources is like. For the most part in the Bible, not that much stuff is, like, described visually. Right. Like, they just kind of say, oh, and then he was visited by this angel, or, like, then he 
saw horrors that were horrible to be behold. Maybe I'm getting confused with Lovecraft, but um, <laughs> the, I mean, the like, book of Revelation basically is just Lovecraft. Yeah, um, like I just watched the movie Noah. Yeah, um, the Aronofsky movie, which is a is sort of a fun, wild movie because it has a lot of things that are in the Bible. But like Aronofsky has his own weird way that they look like there's a lot of giant rock monsters in that movie. OK, um, whereas here, I guess I would like sort of some more weird stuff like uh, the game like Shadows of the Damned or something like that. Sure. Um, or even the game like Dante's Inferno, which is not a good game by any means, but like really has sort of a hellish vibe to it. And, and that's um, kind of the fun thing about, you know, that it's kind of a meme that's going around lately is the the, the idea of biblically accurate angels. Okay. They basically just look like a, a belt made of eyes. You know, it's like <laughs> they, they look so they're supposed to look terrifying. Like this idea we have of the Christmas tree topper is pretty right. far gone from the uh, the descriptions that biblical scholars have found, you know. And, and yeah, like if you look, most of the apocalyptic or eschatological uh, descriptions <laughs> in the Bible are where you get like some of the most vivid, like for lack of a better word, like uh, creature design, <laughs> right. you know, like you get, yeah, you get lions with like 10 heads and you get like it, it, locusts with human faces and all kinds of crazy stuff is described in that chapter of the Bible. And, uh, and, and th yeah, so there's this... an opportunity here to go kind of hog wild, which I don't, I don't really think that they do. Like, I, I think that the sort of premise of playing as one of the horsemen and being part of the apocalypse is a fun good like set premise to sell a game on yeah uh, i just wish that sort of they leaned into that a little more um even though what they do from a gameplay perspective is very good yeah but i do like that they had a lot of uh, big enemies with uh, uh cages for torsos i think that's just a cool look i i, I sure. like i like that idea it's very bloodborne <laughs> um well let's move on to our next game uh which is the the game i spent a little bit more time with because it's a it's a bigger longer game uh this is darksiders yep. 2 it was released november 18th 2012 a launch game uh, it was developed by vigil games published by thq and it was also released on ps3 360 ps4 xbox one switch stadia and windows <laughs> these games are still very available very available pick them up anywhere uh maybe on my new steam deck woo <laughs> uh so the the first game was a solid hit so you know thq announced shortly after the release that they were developing a sequel with the intention of forming a larger new franchise and they really went all out on it. Well, the, the first game was only a modest hit, but THQ gave this game a $50 million budget, which is one of the most expensive game budgets of all time. That's uh, wild. It's wild, me. right? Yeah, they for, really pumped it. Yeah, they, they were really like going for it. For, for many reasons, that wild, that's wild. First and foremost, um, that this would be the franchise that someone would be willing to pump that much into. And it has so little of a you know cultural imprint yeah it's like how when you tell people that like the fourth pirates of the caribbean movie is like the most expensive movie ever made and people are like which one uh, was the fourth one yeah ex exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly i think that it's kind of that case i mean i think you can probably argue that maybe the the uh very modest success of this game with its very huge budget was one of the factors that led to THQ uh filing for bankruptcy the first yeah, time. I'm fair. I'm not a finance expert by any means, but you know, feels it, feels right. And the other thing that's weird about it is like this game to me does not scream big huge budget. Not you know what necessarily. I mean, like, I, mean it, I know this is a ten year old game, but it's still it it doesn't feel like 
if you tell me L.A. Noir is one of the most expensive games ever made, I can kind of see it in right. the game. You know, they're trying like a lot of new technology. They they meticulously mapped out Los Angeles from the 1950s. They you have know? tons of like known voice actors. Exactly. Like you can see the money on screen there. I don't know that this one necessarily looks like a $50 million game. No, I mean, this game kind of looks like a PS2 game. Like it looks like a very, very good PS2 game, but yeah. like it has that those sort of character designs just kind of look that way. And like, you know, yeah, it is a 10 year old game, but like, I think uncharted three was out by this time. Yes. Um, and like that game, you know, looks like an expensive, like game. And I um, think it might've cost less than this game, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, 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 so it's, it's, it's all kind of relative, but um, yeah, it, it is. That is surprise. Very surprising to me. But, you know, this game ultimately only sold 1.5 million copies, which is really only barely more than the first game, despite it being very heavily marketed and hyped. And there were special edition PS4 versions that came out with like a a mask, like the death mask that you could actually wear. Oh, sure. You know, so they had all those ornate (laughs) things. For that beloved character. It it also just seems like a case of them in some ways. And, you know, this probably happens when you're part of a company that is on the cusp of bankruptcy is putting the cart before the horse. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah, to yeah. To be like, Darksiders is going to be huge, therefore we're going to put a whole bunch of money on it, and therefore we're going to make it huge. But there's not really like, there was never the support of the first one of, oh, there's an audience, there's a huge audience out there for this game. No, like, not they necessarily. They didn't have the evidence to be like, yes, this is going to be huge. They, and they, they had the went for it. They had the potential. I will say they had the potential. Because yeah. the first game, like, not a huge hit, but critics liked it, you know, and it, it got good notices and like it got good like gamer responses. But yeah, it just wasn't like this cultural phenomenon, uh, you know, but and, and like that one, this game got very good reviews, you know, so that kind of helped take away some of the sting a little bit. And uh, just like the first game, this also got a remastered edition with a deeply ridiculous name. That one is called the Definitive Edition. That <laughs> came out in 2017. So if this naming convention continues, I can only assume Darksiders 3 is called the Plagorific Edition or something, or, or <laughs> sure. uh, 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 Pestilential-tastic, I guess. Yep. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so uh, this game shifts the focus to a different horseman. Now you are playing as Death, and this plot... Apocalossum Edition. Apocalossum, yes. Yeah. Uh, and the, this plot runs parallel to the events of the first game. Uh, so a nice ironic twist here is that Death is actually working to restore humanity after yeah. the premature apocalypse uh, decimated it last time because Death knows that his brother War was innocent of his accused crime, and so he's trying to restore the human race and undo the damage when war was betrayed. Um, And there are several points where the stories intersect, uh, which is always cool. And there are flashbacks also looking back into the origins of the horseman race, which is revealed to be called the Nephilim. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. The Nephilim are like half-breeds of uh, angels and demons. Yes. So it's with two copies of Dan Brown's book in the library get really close (laughs) together. um, You gotta keep them in different sections. Yeah. Bless you, Breed Nephilim. Uh, so Death in this game is played by Michael Wincott. You might know him as the bad guy from The Crow, or if you watch the movie Nope, he was the cinematographer in that. Got a great, uh, distinctive, gravelly voice. His perform- his character in that movie, I was so confused just generally by the movie Nope. Yeah. And like his character was one of the things I found the most confusing because he gave like such a stylized kind of weird performance that I couldn't tell if like 
there was something underhanded going on or like I just there was no explanation for why he was so weird in that movie he, even he, though like it did feel like yeah I, I agree I think he was one of those things like he felt like such a specific reference that I I, I was missing yeah. you know like I don't know who exactly he was meant to be other than this guy who's just like consumed with the idea of getting the perfect shot you know like right uh, but I, I thought he was good in that movie. Well, you no, know, I mean, he he was definitely a memorable aspect of that movie. Yeah. It was just yet another thing that I was like, what is going on in this movie? Yeah, yeah. And it was just kind of cool to see this guy who hasn't really been a thing. And now he's got like character posters like at the movie theater, which is pretty oh, cool. Oh, sure. Um, I, I, you have to say like, so uh, uh, I don't know how long ago this was. I think it was that October before last we did on our Patreon show uh, a deep dive into the Splatterhouse series. Uh-huh. And the design of death in this game is almost identical to the PS3 like remade version of Splatterhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like from I can the see way that. from the mask to the way he moves to like he's he's kind of shirtless and sinewy all the time, you know. And like uh, I, I don't know, I just wonder if anybody yeah, had giant, giant. I mean, similar to War, like giant torso and abs, and then kind of a hockey mask visage it's one of those things like okay if you rip off the splatterhouse remake will anybody notice uh and (laughs) apparently we're the only ones in the world we do because you know i am the horseman of nerdiness uh you know so but uh you know i i I, that was kind of a little striking at at the at first um but i do like this character more than war like i think he's more interesting as a character he's more fun to control he feels lighter and much much faster and, he feels uh, a lot like uh, the prince in Prince of Persia. He like, does. There, there's a very distinct influence from uh, Sands of Time in this game. Like a lot of wall running and sort of jumping from pillar to pillar, grabbing on. Um, it, it, Which is it a felt good very, thing. Yeah. It felt very weird in the first game to have a double jump and then here to not start with the double jump. I did uh-huh. kept getting through. I, I was I was thrown by that a few times. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, OK, well, why am I not jumping? Um <laughs> But, you know, yeah, I, I think this one is a little heavier on the cutscenes, and it has, like, dialogue trees when you're discussing or when you're talking with a lot of the NPCs. But, but it has a very annoying style of dialogue trees where you have to ask every question in the tree anyway. Right. And you can, uh, you can skip ahead by pressing the A button if you don't want to, like, hear every line of dialogue sure. coming out of these heavily Scottish, like, giant dwarves' mouths. <laughs> uh, but... Yeah, there there was a heavy like Norse influence, which I think is just kind of that. You know, we were talking about how it's sort of chasing trends. I think that has become a big trend in video games lately. It's just like right. Norse mythology, Norse aesthetics. Um, you know, which it mixes it up, and it's not like a big parking lot like in the first game. So that's right. That's that, good. I did appreciate that, but again, like very similar criticism. Like if this is a game about the sort of biblical apocalypse and like the reinstatement of humanity and this giant war between angels and demons. Like I don't really just want to be wandering around like a sort of Norse temple yeah. because it feels like there's a lot of games, you know, where I can wander around some sort of equivalent of a Norse temple. Yeah. And if a game has the premise that this one does, I want to see like weirder stuff. I want to be like traversing through weird designs of the heavens or like, you get pulled through portals here and you're like, you're going to discover this other world. And it's like, Oh, this other world just kind of looks like generic world of Warcraft stage. Yeah. I, I I think in general, like this is kind of a gray game, which I, I wasn't crazy about, but I liked the gameplay much, much more in this game than I did the first one. Uh, 
I'm a sucker for a big open world, and this is a big open world game. Uh, to the point where they give you a horse named Despair that you can summon at any time when you're in the overworld to ride around much faster, which I always appreciate. He controls yep, like good. Epona uh, <laughs> in the Zelda games, which uh, which means you can't like whip him too many times or he'll get upset. Sure. Um, and you well, know, yeah, you don't want your horse Despair getting upset. Yeah, you <laughs> do not upset Despair. No. Yeah, I, I, it's a much more open world, and like I said, death is just swifter and lighter, and it just you can feel an immediate difference in the gameplay. Like uh, you can mm-hmm. string together combos much faster, so combat is more satisfying. Yeah, uh, there's a much much bigger inventory right from the get go. Yeah, um, where you like we, the, one of the earliest enemies you fight like drops this big hammer that you can just kind of pick up as a secondary weapon. And then you, your your default weapon is like these double scythes, yeah, which are very much like Kratos chain swords, totally. And um, but you can also equip a secondary weapon as like a big hammer or axe. And like weirdly early in this game, like it's like you have received gifts, and I went to this fountain, and it just gave me like a ton of super powerful items. Yeah, uh, did that happen to you too? Yes, and that's because with this edition, this came out a couple months after the PS3 edition. And so it came bundled with all of the DLC, including all of like the special items that you get from those quests. So I found that annoying, though, because like every time you you, like you take all you accept all the gifts and then you need to have like a little dialogue window every single time. So you can't move away from it until it's cycled through like all 20 or so of these. Yeah. But yeah, it does give you a lot of items that you are not powerful enough to equip yet. You need to level up to like level five, I think, before you can grab any of those. Which is is very confusing. And I imagine like. Uh, that is a weird thing that has been kind of a trend in games uh, occasionally is like if they have other fancier editions of the game or something gets ported later they're like okay it comes with all the extra like dlc items built in yeah but they don't know how to actually like when to give you those items in the game right so it like kind of throws off the whole balance because a you're confused you're like wait what do these items have to do with anything and then b if you get them much earlier than you should, like you're just going to start cruising through the game in a way that is not fun. Yeah. And I don't know. That That's just a weird trend. Yeah, no, it's, it was kind of an odd choice, but like, you know, I, I have since leveled up to the uh, point where I can use some of these items. So, you know, it's, I'm, I'm less mad about it now. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, so yeah, you get all these items. Uh, you're, you're, it's much more quest based this time around. You're doing a lot of favors for NPCs, including one particularly ugly dwarf who keeps asking you to like grab <laughs> stuff for him. He's like, Oh, I lost my helmet. Oh, I lost my plate. Oh, I lost this. Like, can you go grab it? And, and I like the death was like surly with him every time. He's just like, Oh, sure, why are you sure. asking me to do this shit? I am death. I am like, a, <laughs> I'm kind of out of your pay grade. Sure. Um, you know, and, but I, I thought these were really like very well designed dungeons and there are just lots of little quality of life improvements that I think make a big difference. Firstly, like when you strike an enemy, they kind of glow a little bit like to indicate impact, which somehow just kind of makes it feel more uh, impactful. Like a lot of the time in the first Darksiders, I wasn't super clear if my sword was connecting. Yeah, uh, I agree. And here you can really feel it. Um, also, I want to shout this out. This is one of the the smallest things in the world, but for a, some weird reason, this seems to be the only game that has cracked it. <laughs> in in these games, inevitably, whether you're playing Tomb Raider or Uncharted or wh- whatever you're playing, inevitably there's going to be a point where you are hanging from a pole. You need to work your way around the pole and then jump backwards to get onto another pole. 
Yes. These are always incredibly annoying to me. And this yep. game fixed that section, okay? Because when you're hanging from a pole, you press the left trigger to turn around. Mm, it's just that usually, simple button. Usually the hiccup is like you have to adjust to jump to the other pole, but you have to push away on the joypad to like jump that way. And it will often make your character shimmy around to the other side of the pole. Exactly. Or you'll yeah. have, just have to press the jump button and sometimes it'll just make you let go of the pole and you need to start <laughs> again or something like that. It's yeah. one of those little things that have just always been so annoying to me in games like this. And I love that this game just had like a quick and simple fix. It's just like, yeah, press the trigger. He faces away. Make an easy jump. That's all you got to do. Like he's not, it locks him in place. He's not going to like go rogue on you. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's one of the minorest things I can like compliment a game on, but I appreciate that they figured it out, and I don't know why other games don't do this. It's very simple. Yeah, th this game does feel like it's... I mean, the first Dark Darksiders had a lot of stuff sort of boiling in the stew, like um, a lot of sort of different gameplay mechanics, but it was just mostly grounded in like a very simple combat system. Yeah. This game feels like it has even more sort of mechanics and stuff going for it. Like you can learn skills to like raise zombies. Yeah. Um, I, I found the most useful thing about the gamepad here um, was being able to actually read the text. Yeah. Because much like, uh, you know, God of War 2018, like the inventory and skill management screen has like tons of diamonds and boxes that you can check um, to get new skills. And the text is really, really small. Yeah. Um, so the gamepad was helpful for that. The, um, but like, this just does feel like kind of a more fully featured game and death feels like a character who has a lot more abilities than war does. Which, yeah. Which is his mostly swinging around a big sword. Yeah. Yeah. It feels a lot more open-ended and, and just having that big inventory where you can always like customize your armor or your weapons, things like that. Like. I like being able to mix it up. Uh, it feels, and there's like a more of a RPG style, like stat system and leveling yeah. up system, which suits this sort of gameplay. Well, uh, one thing I really noticed here, um, and I'm not saying that this feedback would have been the secret to the Wii U's success or something, but one of the weird, um, weird aspects of the Wii U among its many weird things is there's no uniform way to like, control data on the gamepad which is can be very confusing to me yeah like it took me a long time to figure out you had to touch death's face in the corner of the gamepad to switch to the map screen because it kind of just defaults to the inventory and it's like every wii u game that uses the gamepad in some kind of meaningful way like does it differently in terms of how you switch to like displaying the game on the gamepad, how you switch the screen you want to see on the gamepad. Sometimes it involves touch. Sometimes it involves changing an option in the game itself. And sometimes you just press the minus button or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, it's frustrating that they never quite figured out a uniform way to be like, this is how it should work on the gamepad to switch from here to here to you know, customize these things. Yeah, and and THQ definitely wanted this to be kind of their big splashy game on the Wii U, you know, mm -hmm. but I don't think they did too terribly much to uh, uh, make good use of that gamepad. But I mean, it's it, it's fine for what it is. It does uh, it does everything it's trying to do well. But you know, I it, mean, it's it, uh, it, it's the same. It's very similar uses to uh, Wind Waker, sure. which goes a long way. I don't think the interface is nearly as clean looking as it is in Wind Waker, but no. like you can equip items like using the drag and drop method on the gamepad. 
um, which does save a lot of time as opposed to having to constantly pause it and go into the inventory. Yeah, and I, I thought everything worked here pretty well. The you know I did experience a couple of like load screens, like sometimes if I'm just walking through a doorway, not even like opening a door and going into a new world, yeah. I'd just be like, you know, you walk through a door and it's like loading, loading. I got stuck in a wall a couple times, you know. So yeah, there, it, there it felt glitches. kind of definitely felt kind of glitchy. Um, frame rate was not very good, and this is an odd thing of like, I think that this game looks worse than the first one but that's because the first one you know was remastered and came out five years later yeah um but like the first one i never really noticed frame rate issues and like i i this one very much like some of the characters felt sort of weirdly proportioned and sinewy and just it didn't look nearly as smooth as the first game no no but you know i i think in on balance i did have more fun playing this one than I did the first one. Like I felt mm-hmm. more pulled into the story and the world. And I spent more time with this one as well. I think I beat like two dungeons on my way to the third. Okay. Um, and you know, I'm, I've, I've already leveled up appreciably. Like I've, I've got some weapons that are really starting to like tear people up, which is very satisfying. And um, you know, some good boss fights and some good dungeon design. Like I've, I'm, I'm happy with the time I'm spending with it. Like I always say, I'm gonna keep playing through these games, and then I don't necessarily follow through on it. Sure. Like because we're playing a lot of games for the show. Like and there's yeah. other things I want to be playing too. You know, but uh, but this one I might try and uh, uh, power through. Like I, I'm, I'm enjoying just kind of like playing it off screen and just sort of because again, it's not. It's it's a good story, but it's not so compelling that it needs to like demand all of your attention. It's a lot of tropes and a lot of things you've seen before. So, you know, it's I mean, I think that's true for this whole series in general. Is it like kind of exists in this middle area of like being very well made and competent and like scratching a lot of the same itches that, you know, other games do. It's just a question of like how much time and interest do you have in sort of doing the same things that you've done in countless other games? Yeah. Like these games really don't bring anything new to the table. And I don't, I don't think that every game has to bring something new to the table, but I think at least for me personally, I've played these games, you know, quote unquote, these games that are, you know, the same as Darksiders enough time. Yeah. Like in, in other forms. And I think that, you know, you, since this is kind of the sweet spot for you, maybe that's not the case for you. Yeah. Um, like I, yeah, I have, I have a little bit lands. more like tolerance for this style of gameplay or like more of a, more of a yen for this kind of gameplay. Yeah. Like I got no, I got no problems with these games aside from some of the uninspiredness of the designs. Yeah. But like, I just can't really imagine being like, okay, I'm going to set aside, um, you know, these other games like Gone Home or something that I've been interested in playing or Kentucky Route Zero that's going to show me something different yeah. to play this game where I basically know exactly what it is. And that's totally fair. And that's totally yeah. fair. And I think that's kind of where the series is at right now in general. Yep. I mean, they're, things are kind of up in the air for Darksiders. Um, they've always been respected, but they've never really recouped their expensive budgets and i mean i I honestly yeah until looking it up right now i didn't really know that there was a darksiders 3 or 
four, right. which is, you know, Genesis. That's the thing. I think I, I yeah, I, I learned about Darksiders three when it kind of came up casually on an episode of Vigigame Apocalypse. And they were even like, wow, I did not know Darksiders three was coming out, you know, like, <laughs> which is not really a good sign. Like for if you know, when you know. people who work in like the video game industry are like, hmm, that's a game that exists. Yeah. Yeah. That's not really the vibe that you want to go for. Um well, THQ Nordic has reformed, arguably stronger than other, but there hasn't really been any stated plans for another major game. Uh, Joe Madureira, he has indicated that he wants to do a comic book series, and he implied that there's a movie in the works, but pretty much every game developer says that. Like, right. they all say, like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really believe there's going to be, like, a movie of this any more than I believe that Kane and Lynch movie is ever going to happen, you know? Like, it's, <laughs> sure. it's they, they always kind of toss these out. But, like, there, you know, there are so many... Alive. There are so many game properties that they would plumb from for a movie before they get to uh, before they get to Dark Side. I think so. I think so. Uh, well, let's move on to our rankings. I yeah, I like these games quite a bit. Um, I'm going to put these on my list at number 26 and 27. Uh, so Dark Siders Two is getting the edge over Dark Siders One, uh, and uh, I, I think that these are just kind of solid, entertaining games. So 26 and 27 that puts them directly underneath the Lego Dimensions games and right above Tumblestone on my list. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I think that they are very good, competent games. Um, and I think that they they have a harder place now. It's just we live in a world um, we do. where the, we live in a world. <laughs> we live in a society where there are so many games that we can play that are generally fairly accessible and, um, that I'm not sure that these games feel like they have quite as much of a place, even though they're very well done. Yeah. Um, but if, you know, you had just gotten a Wii U and this was the game that you had on it, like, I think you would put a lot of hours into Darksiders 2 and had a good time because it's a well-made game. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to put these at number 39 and 38 and 39, um, right behind new Super Luigi U um, and ahead of the Transformers Prime game. Uh, and I, I, I'll, I'm with you. I think that Darksiders 2 took a little bit longer to kind of get started. Um, but I liked, I liked the interface and RPG elements, um, a little more than the first one. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at with those as well. Uh, great. We have a couple of letters this week. Uh, and, and I also want to say we've been getting quite a few letters from people. So I'm kind of spreading a few of them out over the next couple of episodes, but my God, keep them coming. We love getting letters. Thank you people. Uh, this first one says, Dear Stephen Woody. Hello. Uh, I am sad your collaborative podcasting partnership focusing upon possibly underrated consoles is coming to an end. <laughs> I hope you'll keep all of the episodes published, as I'm sure there are many to which listeners, including myself, will want to return. I'm also sad that you just covered your last mainline Zelda game. Or have we? Uh, as this is the last time <laughs> I can send you an old man yelling at a cloud email. Sure. As I was nearing my mid-20s when Wind Waker was released, I guess I would be in the demographic considered aged out of Nintendo's perceived cuteness at the time. Sure. I was indeed a bit disappointed that the original demo wasn't the art style Nintendo went with, though I did enjoy how the cel-shaded style looked reminiscent of Dreamcast games like Jet Grind Radio. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the art style that turned me off from Wind Waker, though. It was the tedium of having to sail long distances to get anywhere the even heavier tedium of the game-ending fetch quest, and the way the dungeons overall weren't quite as tightly designed as those in previous games that gave Wind Waker the distinction of being the first Zelda game that I didn't bother to play through to the end. In regards to Twilight Princess being the game I, quote, thought I wanted, it actually was the game I wanted, and still (laughs) is the game I prefer in comparison to Wind Waker. 
Maybe I just like the darker tone Zelda games in general, but as that Link to the Past, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask run is my Zelda ideal. Mm-hmm. With that said, the Wii U HD remake of Wind Waker transforms the game into a top-tier Zelda title for me, and as, I, as I've now played through this entire version, lifts it to one of my favorites. Uh, the red sail takes away the tedium of having to sail so far across empty seas to get somewhere, uh, and uh, adding to add that to the gamepad functionality and uh, the updated graphics. And this game remake recontextualizes the entire game for me, from a symbol of a time I was a bit disillusioned with Nintendo to a symbol of Nintendo and the Zelda franchise's enduring greatness. Anyway, keep up the good work as you finish out the Wii U library. I'm going to miss y'all. And that is from Nick, a.k.a. The Nick Experiment, a.k.a. Nick from <laughs> Film Shake. So thank you, Nick. A.k.a. Nick Apocalypse. <laughs> yes. N- n- Apocalypse now. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, yeah. Thank you for adding, like, the thing that was odd about us going back and playing, um, you know, Wind Waker on the Wii U is it has been so long since either of us had played it on the GameCube. Right. That so many of those kind of minor changes that are that goes such a long way in really improving that game, but aren't super obvious. Um, Uh It it really, it's really just like an idea of how to do a remake. Right. And cause I think I had a very similar experience to you, Nick, of being frustrated by the tedium in on the GameCube version um, and just sort of getting totally sucked in on the Wii U. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it really is just kind of a top notch remake in terms of uh, uh, how to, how to bring a, a game back and sort of like, you know, use your, the wisdom of the years to kind of polish some of the things that may not have aged well. Like I, I yep. appreciate that they put the time and effort into doing that. And again, it just looks gorgeous any way you play it. Uh, all right. Our next letter says, hello. Hi, howdy, Stephen Woody and literally hello. not a soul else. Yes. Good. Thanks for <laughs> writing. Nice to hear you. Welcome. Yes. <laughs> uh, love hearing your opinions on the Wii U. While I was a huge N64 gamer and now a proud owner of an NFL N64 game with a fart drawing on it, thanks to you both, <laughs> uh, the Wii U is a massive blind spot. How, how did we draw a fart? Um, did... I think I drew the fart. I think I drew the fart. It was just like a little cloud, and I actually wrote the word fart, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, good. It, yeah. was good. it was good to clarify. Did you put stink lines going off of it? I'm pretty sure I did. It's been a little bit. For those who need some context, at, when we wrapped up the N64 show, we had a, just a ton of, like bargain basement like sports games so we autographed a bunch of them and sent them to fans so so everyone has pictures of uh a brett Favre with our names over it (laughs) yes exactly uh it's so it's been great to hear about these massive games like xenoblades etc that i've never touched with that one separate question with a couple of tendrils uh do you all follow the politics slash conversations around the video game industry as a whole I'm thinking right now of the Helena Taylor uh, Bayonetta issues and, of course, the ongoing discussions with harassment of primarily female workers with the rooster teeth of it all. For me, video games are a huge escape, but I also find it easier to escape when the talent around the games is able to earn a living wage and work in good conditions. I also find myself conflicted about the upcoming Harry Potter RPG, which looks incredible and has a staff that deserves accolades, but also has ties with someone whose politics I disagree with. Much love. That is from Blake. Thank you, Blake. That's a good question. Yeah, I did have to kind of look up some of these things. I was aware of the Helena Taylor uh, controversy. She she's kind of spoken out against uh, the developers of Bayonetta three, saying that she's only been paid four thousand dollars for each game, despite each game like being multi million dollar generating titles. You know, and you could really argue that her performance kind of anchors those games. You know, she brings a lot 
to it, you know, she should be fairly compensated. But like, okay, okay. my my question is real quick. Like, I agree 100% that she should be like, how long does it take to do the voice recording for like, what what, do you think it's like a month of work? Yeah, it's hard to say because uh, so I've I've read from like uh, most voice gamers there or uh, voice actors in games are like it's way more work than you expect it to be. Like okay, you know you think you're just gonna sit down and like do a day's work uh, in a sound booth, but they give you like this gigantic like Bible sized thing, you know, that you have to read through, and that's especially true if you're doing like RPGs and stuff like that. Sure, that makes sense. So it is quite a bit of work. Uh, Rooster Teeth, of course, has been under controversy because of uh, uh, consistent harassment of their LGBTQ employees and female employees. Um, that's been kind of an ongoing thing. Uh, you know, and I, I agree with Blake. Like, you know, I I do try and follow up on this when I can, and I do try to avoid supporting games that provide these horrible working conditions for people or, or support like uh, uh, horrible politics. Like for the same reason, I am not going to buy that Harry Potter game. Um, Mm. It it looks, looks pretty fun, but uh, no, I don't want to give money to JK Rowling if I can avoid it, especially because in recent, in recent weeks, she's just been doubling and tripling down on her (laughs) shitty stance, which is just something I will never understand. Like why, why why do you feel the need to just like burn all of your goodwill like it is for, it is for no very odd it is very cuz you you know you can hold a shitty view and like plenty of people do Sure. but if you're in a situation where like no good will come of sharing that like just 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 hold it you're just you're just costing yourself money for no for no reason it's very right. odd you're, yeah i mean there, there's i just don't understand why she i mean i guess it's just the billionaire bubble you know you feel so entitled to just like share your pristine little pearls of wisdom with the world that uh, you don't even think about the consequences or what you're actually doing to your brand like yeah. harry potter could have been this like a timeless thing, you know, going on for generations. And now more and more like people are turning against it and, and refusing to engage with the property, you know, just because you have a shitty opinion that nobody asked you about and does not affect you in one way or the other, you know? Yeah. So I it, mean, it's infuriating. It It is infuriating. And like at, at its core though, like in the world of entertainment, like when you dig into kind of any company and any product that, you you buy or have the option to buy like you're gonna find things being shittily run or people being taken advantage of because that is just the nature of living in you know a capitalist society or not it's just the nature of the world that we live in yeah um and so at some point you need to prioritize like what will bring you joy and happiness because your choice to like if it's like really, really important to you to play this Harry Potter game and like, don't deprive yourself of it because like JK Rowling's going to have enough money. Like I went through the same thing. Like when I was thinking of buying a, uh, Oculus, um, because I'm like, look, I know, I know Facebook sucks. Yeah. Um, but I really, really want to play resident evil four in VR. And like, I'm like, okay, so I bought it and I played resident evil four in VR. And like, I'm very happy that I did it. You know what I mean? It's always a, it's always kind of a weird play. And I think the gaming industry in particular is in a, uh, a strange place because 
it's simultaneously like a multi-billion dollar industry and also not taken super seriously like on a on a mainstream level sure and it's also very male dominated yes and gaming has kind of a toxic has like an issue with like toxic male gamers that kind of you know run the entire industry and and that's why i appreciate that like people are speaking out more and yes. more and i i think i think it's very important that they do and i think at this moment in particular it's important to you know support the people who are speaking out and to yes. basically vote with your dollars you know like that's really the only thing that's ever going to make any kind of impact is voting with your money and uh saying you know if you don't approve of this kind of behavior then don't support this company okay so it's you know it, it's it's a complex issue with like i said like i said in the letter uh a lot of tendrils to to branch out from and i'm probably not articulating it as as best as i can but that's kind of where I come down on it. Yeah, I guess I guess for me, at some point, like you, your happiness and what you want to engage with is the only thing that you have control of. Even right. though it is important to voice with vote with your dollar, like if something is going to be important to you, like you don't need to martyr yourself to like ignore it but if yeah. like you buying it would just kind of remind you of the shitty things that went on behind the scenes like don't buy it there's plenty of other things out there that you can spend your money like thankfully and there's plenty of games that we have to play yeah and so if you're just like okay i'm no longer interested in this property because it's just associated with you know these bad work conditions or something i find objectionable be like great i will shift my fandom to this other property that i have um that I've been wanting to get into. Yeah. Uh, we have one last letter here to end on a lighter note. <laughs> hey there, Nintendo boys. Uh, <laughs> last night I had a dream that Woody and I were driving a car on a dark, gloomy backwoods road. When we noticed that way behind us, we kept spotting the same set of headlights. I'm not sure who it was that was following us, but Woody seemed to know and be terrified of them. It was super, Oof. super scary. And I feel like the dream lasted for hours. Eventually, we ended up at a dead end, and just as the car drove up on us, my kiddo ran into our room and woke me up, so I have no idea how it Oof. ended. Sorry I didn't keep you safe, Woody. Anyway, Oof. are there any good escort missions? <laughs> Stay safe out there. <laughs> that's from Troy. Oh, I thought thank the framing you, Troy. of that was uh, funny. Boy, that's, uh, I, I feel like we've, once you, um, get a letter about someone having dreamed about you, you, you know that you've, you've made it in the podcasting world. And I'm curious if he it's, even knows like what you look like, you know, or if it's just kind of a, a woody construct, you know, that he's made sure. from, from hearing your voice. But it, it is odd. Like when I think about certainly in like 2020, where um, I spent most of my time inside and didn't talk to very many people. Right. Like I like the podcast that I'm listening to. I would be like, man, I have listened to like, you know, David Sims voice like so much more than like most people in my re that I know in real life. Same. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, um, it is always weird to feel. Well, first off, Troy, no thanks for abandoning me in dream world. Oh, yeah. What the uh, hell? But you'll be happy to know I, I made it through. Wouldn't it have been creepy if I had had that same dream? Oh my God. I, yeah. Wouldn't I, it be also, creepier if I also had the same dream and I was the car behind you guys? Ah, uh, well that, that may be the explanation. Um, I've been I, I wonder you where that came from. If we had had some kind of conversation about like being tailed by a car or something like that, yeah, that maybe brought, brought that up. Maybe you but... fell asleep after listening to our podcast and watching The Hitcher. Oh, sure. sure. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. But uh, to oh, the are question. there any good? Are there any good escort missions? Um, 
you know, escort missions famously irritating because it, I don't know. I, it's it's mostly like that concept of uh, uh, being put in charge of something helpless. So like the right. best escort missions for me are the ones where they can defend themselves, like Alex Vance in Half Life Two, things like that. But like, do you fail if can Alex Vance die in Half Life Two? No, and I think that's kind of the difference. Well, so uh, to so me, that's not an, like an escort, escort mission. mission. Yeah. For me, like, the best escort missions are usually, like, when you are a sniper, you know, and you need to, like, clear a path for somebody Uh, who needs to get somewhere. Like, I always enjoy those because I like sniper games. Sure. As someone who just played through Metal Gear Solid 2, I'm not not sure about that. (laughs) Uh, And and I'm actually, yeah, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say there are no good escort missions. Like, even the one that I consider more competent than it you probably think in your memory of like Ashley and resident evil four. Yeah. Those like, are not she, as intrusive as people remember. No, Cause she does a pretty good job following you and staying close and not getting hung on stuff. But even that I would not go far as to say that it's good. Like to me, that's still the less interesting part of that game. The closest thing I will say, like for a game that's actually built entirely around escort missions, I, I put off this game for a long time. Cause I thought for that reason, it would be unplayable. But the game uh, Eco, uh, the Sony Studios, oh, yeah. kind of the precursor to Shadow of the Colossus, that game is entirely an escort mission, but it somehow works. Like, it doesn't feel intrusive. And this story-wise, it creates, like, a really intense sense of intimacy between uh, these two characters. Like, and you feel extra protective towards this uh, this character that you're escorting. Does that game have enemies in it? It does, yeah. Okay, uh, and, I, I didn't know if it was just kind of walking around but and it, jumping the whole time. If I remember, I don't even know if they really go after you. I think they go after the girl that you're escorting. Um, huh. And so, like, if they grab her, you need to go and, like, fend them off that way. Because, like, they're they're mostly interested in just taking her back. Okay. Which, which makes it for a pretty intense kind of, like, uh, push and pull for that game. Um, but that's one where it works, and it should be more annoying than it is. So that's that's my example. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you everybody for writing. Like we said, we have a few more letters um, that we'll we'll keep kind of spreading out over the next couple episodes. So thank you so much for sending them. Continue to send them to uh, uh, ultra sixty four podcast at gmail dot com. We love yeah, the getting more, them. The more letters you send, the longer our episodes get. It's you gotta, true. You got to take them where you can get we them. Only got a few more left. Honestly, we're 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 getting down to it. Got a couple weeks left. Um, so it, it's uh, it's going to be exciting. Uh, next week, uh, since you know we're well into the spooky season, we got to talk about <laughs> the spookiest game on the entire system. A uh, pair of games, actually. So prepare yourself, folks. We're going to be talking about Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventures, Ooh. Part One and Two. Can you handle it? So many ghosts. Uh, <laughs> luckily, you can eat these ghosts. You know, unlike oh, in perfect. real life, where the ghosts eat you. Yep. Um, so tune in next week for a double pack attack. It's going to be a lot of fun, uh, and we will see you then. What a skeletal wreck of man this is. Translucent flesh and feeble bones, the kind of temple where the whores and villains try to tempt the holistic domes. Running rampant with free thought to free form and free and clear. And the matters at hand are shelled out like lint at a laundromat to sift and focus on the bigger, better now. We all have a little sin that needs venting, virtues for the rending of laws and systems and stems that rip from the branches of office. Do you know what your post entails?